passion fruit ice cream, a sweet called Alfa Jores, and a powerful tea. This week, we're in Buenos Aires. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. This is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Welcome to the show. Each week, we travel to a different place in the world and try their cuisine. And this week, it's Malbec Wine thick caramel in a jar, and soccer as we check out Buenos Aires and Argentina. Our guest is Shafik Meji. Shafik has written over 40 guidebooks for DK Travel and Rough Guide to places like Nepal, Paris, Mexico, Australia, and Bali. He's also written articles for BBC Travel, The Guardian, and Culture Trip. Shafik has been a sports writer, too, and he's worked for several NGOs, including Amnesty International. In other words, Shafik is the perfect guy to talk to on the podcast. But first, could I ask you to subscribe to Destination Eat Drink? We're on all the podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and even Amazon Podcasts. Subscribe and you're all set. Destination Eat Drink arrives on your device automatically each Friday. Destination Eat Drink. Jeffick, thanks so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. Uh, first question for you. You have written all these books about travel around the world. And I think that travel writer has become the new millennium's glamour job. My question to you is, do your family and friends and people you meet have a distorted view of what travel writer is? Because I think well, you tell me, and I'll tell you what I think people have a perception of what a travel writer actually does. Often the caveat that uh, is very common at the moment, pre-COVID, um, yes, def- definitely friends and uh, people you meet um, had a, uh, have a very glamorous uh, image of what, what a travel writer is. And I'd love to be able to say that that was, uh, that was the case, um, but um, it's probably only the case for about 10% of the time. <laughs> um, I mean, I do a lot of writing for uh, guidebooks. For example, done about forty or so, and um, uh, there's an awful lot of uh, waiting in bus stations, missing connections, uh, staying in places that you perhaps wouldn't want to stay in on a, on a holiday. Um, yeah, flying through places. But having said that, I'm not complaining. I mean, I love doing it. Um, I, I would say my family um, and my girlfriend certainly certainly would have had that that impression beforehand too. But I have uh, on occasion roped them in to help me out with research, and that has given them a uh, kind of a crash course into the uh, the uh, non glamorous realities of uh, of uh, working as a travel writer. A real life wake up call as to what the life of a travel writer is like. Not uh, yeah. not not. 24-7 vacation. You know, I think people are like, oh, you you get to go to all these places and you're sitting on beaches sipping uh, cocktails with umbrellas in them. I mean, I really wish that was the case, particularly at the moment from uh, from, from rainy South London. But um, uh, yeah, sadly, those, those occasions uh, are only fleeting uh, in, the, uh, in the life of a job and travel writer. I guess that brings up the question, Shafik, is what do you do when you go on vacation? I mean, it, it can't be sort of a busman's holiday where you're going to these places that you've already been, or maybe you do, I don't know. What is a vacation like for uh, Shafik? A vacation as opposed to a research trip. Um, yes. Well, 
Well, it, it, to, to be honest, it, it, there's kind of a running joke between um, lots of travel writers of my acquaintances in that, you know, we, we, we spend our lives writing about vacations, about holidays, about travel. Um, but when we're actually doing it for leisure, for ourselves, we find it really difficult to um, switch off. Um, hmm. You know, I, I still find it difficult not to sit down in a restaurant, for example, sit down in a bar and not take notes, not jot down the opening times, the prices, um, the general atmosphere. And normally when I'm when I'm away on, on holiday, it takes two or three days for me to kind of actually relax, realise that I, um, I'm not there to work. I'm actually just there to, um, to enjoy myself and uh, decompress. But I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely beneficial. I think, funnily enough, a lot of travel writers need to be reminded of the benefits of actually taking some time off and having a holiday, even though that's actually what we spend most of our time writing about. Interesting. So you wrote The uh, Rough Guide to Argentina, and I wanted to talk to you today about Argentina. You lived there for a while. That's right. And the Argentinian food is one of the things that I find so interesting because I haven't been to South America. I've gotten as far south as Belize and Costa Rica, mm. but um, never been to South America. And this is fascinating to me. The more and more people I talk to about places like uh, Brazil and Argentina and uh, Peru and places like this, it makes me really want to go. So I'm glad you're here to talk about it. Let's talk about some of the dishes of Argentina. You're working on a feature right now for the BBC about a dish in Argentina called uh, alfajor. Can alfajores. you tell me? Yes. Alfajores. What is alfajores specifically? Yeah, it's actually, it's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of people who maybe haven't visited Argentina when want to think about the country, they think of beef. Right. Which is entirely correct. But there's a few other kind of quintessentially Argentine dishes or part of their culinary culture. Um, and one of them that is, is little known outside of Latin America are these things called alfajores. Um, they're, they're essentially um, kind of a mix of cookie cakes Two of them sandwiched on top uh, uh, between uh, with dulce de leche, which is kind of a, a thick, sticky caramel in the middle, and then uh, covered in chocolate. Mm. So that's that's the uh, that's one of the most common. There's there's myriad um, variations of them. Um, so th so these um, cakey biscuits, Argentines uh, produce the most in the world. They consume roughly a billion a year, according to some estimates. So. Okay. Um, it's a huge amount, and um, uh, they're sold throughout the country. There's lots of regional variations. Um, the uh, the different brands, you know, they're, they're kind of they they inspire a lot of loyalty. In, in one of the interviews I did for the um, article for the BBC that's coming out a bit later this year, um, compared it to supporting a uh, soccer team. Oh, so I mean, it's and you have those kind of rivalries, often regionally based. But if you travel to Argentina as a, um, you know, as a visitor, it's something that you'll see um, across the country in uh, in coffee shops, in what they call kioscos, which are just like roadside shops. Um, if you go to uh, bakeries, you often see homemade ones. Um, and they're, they're an essential part of um, Argentine life. And they're also delicious. Now, you're a journalist, so I won't ask you to say which regional specialty of uh, alfajores is your favorite. But could you describe maybe the differences between the regional alfajores? 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's two main types that you'll that you'll come across. One is the um, the home baked ones, which are either made in people's homes or in bakeries or um, in in many of the coffee shops, and that's um, typically um, kind of a crumbly. If you kind of imagine a, a slightly soft shortbready type biscuit. Dolce de leche in the middle, and it's often sprinkled with um, desiccated coconut, uh, maybe ice and sugar, and it's kind of um, it's got a much uh, softer texture. And then there's then there's the commercial brands that um, yeah sold in sold in um, kioscos and in um, supermarkets and shops country over. The most famous of these brands is Havana. Uh, who also have their own chain of coffee shops, and they're um, and they're the chocolate covered ones. Um, but within that, there's there's kind of infinite infinite variations. Um, so some will have jam, some will have uh, in the middle instead of dolce de leche. Uh, some will have white chocolate. Some will be uh, triple layered. Uh, I, I just tasted some recently for my research um, that had a. Uh, uh, it's all it's all research, right, Chaffik? Uh, as I said, I mean this 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 I have to admit is one of the uh, nicer parts of the job, and certainly one <laughs> one of the uh, <laughs> if not necessarily for my waistline. Um, but yeah, there's also kind of in, uh, Alfaro's are very, um, kind of an affordable, simple kind of uh, something that, that that every class in Argentina will have. But in in recent years, there's been a lot of uh, luxury varieties, um, and they're kind of taking, you know, chocolatier skills and adding lots of different, um, kind of fancier, fancier flavors. Um, so, um, so I tried one, uh, another one recently that's had, uh, Malbec wine, which is, uh, oh. um, one, one of Argentina's signature or Argentina's signature red wines, uh, involved in the biscuit. And I had another one that was, uh, almost like a lemon pie flavored. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there were dozens, hundreds, potentially even thousands of different variations. And this is just the Argentine alcohol. There, there were, there were different types in Brazil, in Chile, all the way up to, uh, Central America. I would have to imagine getting one fresh in a coffee shop or a cafe or something in Buenos Aires would be infinitely superior than getting one in packaged in a grocery store. Do you have a favorite place or a nice place that you would like to uh, recommend to folks to go in Buenos Aires where they could get one of these? Definitely. I mean, I, I think if for a non for a non Argentine, um, the commercial brands have a lot of nostalgia value. Um, many people have them as as children, as a treat, if they're okay. going to see their grandparents as they um, <laughs> they come out of school. Many schools will actually have kioscos in their in their grounds, in their playgrounds. So, um, the, as I say, but if you're not Argentine, obviously you don't have that that link to them. Definitely, I'd, I'd recommend going to get them home baked. One of my favourite places, which in some ways, I um, I'm uh, slightly reluctant to recommend because it's one of those places that uh, you know it's not quite a hidden gem, uh, not one, but it's um, it, it, it's something that I have a lot of affection for. Um, it's called Malvon, um, and it's a uh, cafe, bakery, restaurant, um, and it's kind of on the borders of the Villa Crespo and Palermo neighbourhoods, um, and it's an incredibly atmospheric place it's quite eccentric decor they have old telephones and unusual paintings and um, they've got a lovely terrace at the back but they also produce um, for me some of the some of the best baked goods uh, sweet and savory in the city um, and uh, among them are some uh, delicious alcohols now when we get one of these would we have it with a uh, coffee 
And if so, what do Argentines like as far as coffee goes? Alfaro is a classic merienda, which is a, um, it's it's an Argentine, it it essentially means snack, but it's often had as kind of like a a high tea um, in the late afternoon. And that's partly because Argentines, and particularly in Buenos Aires, eat their dinners very late. Um, So, you know, if you're going out for dinner in, in Buenos Aires or in across the country, and particularly in the hotter months, you know, most locals will eat at 10 p.m., 11 p.m. later than that. Um, so you need something to keep you going between lunch and uh, and dinner. Alfaro's are often uh, one of those options. And, and yeah, a, a, a coffee is a is a is a cla- classic um, uh, accompaniment. You know, Argentina and again Buenos Aires in particular has had an awful lot of Italian um, immigration over the last 200 years. You know, roughly half of the population has some Italian ancestry. So as you can imagine. The coffee and uh, coffee culture more generally is a huge thing. So you, they, they get all the coffee that you kind of, the, the coffee types that you, you, you would get in Argenti- in Italy from uh, uh, cappuccinos to espressos. Um, Cortado is, is, is a local um, a local variation, which is um, kind of has some similarities to uh, to flat whites. It's slightly it's a slightly um, stronger uh, no froth. But another thing that I really like about uh, coffee culture in Argentina and uh, is that cafes go to a real effort. You sit down, you bought your coffee, you bought and and you almost always get a uh, a little glass of uh, sparkling water with you. Nice. And even if you hadn't ordered anything to eat, you'll typically get um, a small little sweet thing to to eat with it, which is just free from that from the house. So uh, it might be a, a tiny alfaro, it might be a tiny piece of cake. Um, if you go to some of the ice cream parlors, um, they sometimes even give you a little scoop of ice cream to with it. It's just a courtesy, but it's kind of it kind of adds to the atmosphere and really, um, you know, makes you feel um, welcome. Now, I want to talk about ice cream, but before we get to that, you mentioned the dolce de leche. Yes, and you said it's like a, a thick caramel. Yeah. Now. I guess my question is, how would we how would we consume this? Um, is is it typically served with ice cream and other sweet treats, or um, you know, I I see caramel in a in a in a jar. I might just eat it with a spoon. <laughs> yeah, and, and that and that is very common. I mean, I I, I guess if talking to say a, a, a U.S. audience, you know, possibly the way you might consume peanut butter or uh, like chocolate spreads or anything like that. Um, yeah, dulce de leche is essentially condensed milk um, boiled down with sugar and um, and vanilla until it's incredibly thick and thick and rich. And it's um, some people made their own. Traditionally, people made their own, um, but now it's kind of commonly bought in jars. And it flavors um, virtually every every sweet treat that you can imagine in Argentina. So you mentioned ice cream. Um, you get dulce de leche flavored ice cream. Although actually, is 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 say you get many flavors. So you get if you go into a traditional ice cream parlor in uh, in Argentina, and there's one on every block in 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 Buenos Aires, for example, um, you'll get half a dozen to a dozen different flavors, different dulce de leche flavors. Uh, you get it in cakes, you get it in biscuits, um, but you know, commonly and particularly from a comfort eating point of view, which I think um, probably we're all doing a, a, a bit more of this year than than normal. Um, yeah, straight out of the jar um, is is um, is a common thing. Not necessarily done in public, which is probably, probably for the best. 
Okay. So, so let's move on to the ice cream because you've mentioned ice cream a couple of times now. It sounds like ice cream is very, very popular in Argentina. Would we as Americans recognize it as, uh, as an ice cream parlor when we go down to Buenos Aires? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I think, I think one, you, you'll, you'll, you'll be coming, coming from, coming from America, coming from, um, lots of parts of Europe. You'll, you'll be amazed first, first off, just how many ice cream parlors there are. And this is across the country. So, you know, obviously Buenos Aires has very hot summers. The North has very hot summers. But if you go down to a small town in Patagonia, in Tierra del Fuego, at the very, the very South of, uh, South America, you'll still find an ice cream parlor. They're still as popular there. Um, mm. And it's very much a part of the part, part of the culture. Uh, you know, they sell cups and cones and by the kilo. And it, it isn't uncommon to see um, someone walking along with a, uh, a half kilo, even a kilo tub uh, as they're going out for their for their evening walk. Um, I may well have done this myself on, on occasion <laughs> too. Um, yeah, many of them you can sit down in as well, and they do um, Sundays and that kind of thing, and 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 they have dozens and dozens of different varieties. So if you're visiting Argentina, dulce de leche obviously is the first one to to try. Personally, my favourite flavour is uh, something called uh, maracujá, which is passion fruit. Oh, good. So they do this as a sorbet form, and they also do this as an ice cream. Um, and I think particularly on a hot day, um, yeah, that's absolutely delicious. Um, there are a couple of chains that you'll find um, uh, across the country. One is Fredo, which does, you know, very decent ice cream. Um, but my personal favourite place to go for ice cream in uh, in Buenos Aires is, is, um, is, is a very small, slightly more market chain called Persico. Um, they have a great branch in uh, Palermo. Um, which is one of the best neighborhoods for for eating out, and the uh, the maracujá flavor they do there is uh, out of this world. I'm a big ice cream person, and I'm glad that uh, passion fruit is one of the flavors. We lived in Hawaii for a little while, and that's what really turned me on to passion fruit in a big way. So glad to hear about that and, <laughs> and the ice cream. You mentioned the Italian community, the Italian ancestry of a lot of Argentines. Mm. So would the ice cream that we get in Argentina be closer to ice cream that we're familiar with in the U.S., or would it be closer to, say, gelato? It, it, it would be closer to gelato. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very much something that reflects the, um, the Italian roots of, uh, of, of, of many Argentines. Um, I'd say probably one of the key differences, it's it, and um, this reflects the general sweet tooth in Argentina is that some of the flavors will be a bit sweeter than you might get in Italy, but it's definitely, it's that style of ice cream and it's that style of um, ice cream culture, if you will. Well, when we talk about uh, gelato and gelato culture, we should probably mention the uh, affogato. Can, if you go into an ice cream shop, can you get an affogato? Yeah, funny enough, you, you, you can get it, but it isn't a really common thing even though even though ice cream and um and and coffee are two two huge things so it's it's easily accessible and in you know buenos aires particularly is a mega city you know there's a huge huge variety of of, of restaurants and you can kind of eat eat uh, virtually every cuisine on the uh, in the country in, in, in there but it's 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 it certainly affogatos are certainly not as big a thing as um in italy and as, as big a thing as you might expect in argentina so let's talk about some other drinks um now, mate is a pretty popular drink 
in Argentina. And I I drink Herba Mate, especially in the summer. I like a cold Herba Mate around two o'clock in the afternoon when uh, I start to drag a little bit. But I'm I'm not 100% sure I know what is in Herba Mate other than it winds me up a little bit. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned Mate because that's really, um, it it goes alongside uh, beef, Tango, Alfajores, uh, football or soccer as as, as an intrinsic part of uh, Argentine culture. Um, And it's it's incredibly common to see people walking around with a flask under one arm and a uh, mate cup, which is often a gourd shape with a uh, metal straw poking out Mm. of it during the day. And uh, I mean, classically, of course, mate was something that was shared as well. Although that, that, that's something, of course, that um, at okay. the moment is, is, is happening less of. Um, essentially, if you've never come across mate before, it's, a, um, uh, it's typically a hot, caffeine-rich type of herb, herbal tea. Um, so it's made from the leaves of the um, yerba or yerba mate plant, um, which is typically grown in northeast Argentina, southern Brazil, and Paraguay, and Paraguay really for for mate connoisseurs, that's where the, uh, the, uh, the the finest finest leaves come come from. Now I have to admit it's not really my kind of thing, um, <laughs> but uh, but but the but the culture around it is great. It, it's it's kind of got a uh, slightly bitter, slightly herbal flavour. Um, it kind of has some similarities to 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 green tea but there's there's kind of a lot of kind of quite complex flavors um you classically have it either sweetened uh or unsweetened um and also in the summer um they do a um a chilled version which is often often served with with lemon which i have to say is my my preferred way to have it but it's definitely something that um you have to try when you go to argentina and um yeah, as 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 you mentioned, Brett, it definitely gives you a uh, uh, an energy boost, a bit of a pick me up. Would we experience this? Are there shops dedicated, like there are tea houses? Are there uh, mate houses that are dedicated to this drink, where we would go to get it, or would it just be in some corner diner or kiosk? How how does it work? Yeah, it's so interestingly, no, th- th- you do get tea houses. Uh, Tea in the um, the uh, the kind of British sense of tea, and also herbal teas are a huge thing. And you can, and there are a growing number of tea houses that you can go and try them in. But something like mate is very much something that you would have at home, um, or that you would make at home, and that you would uh, take oh, okay. out with you, or that you would have at work, um, and so on. So, so most people buy um, buy, buy their mate from from supermarkets. Um, and they will um, take it out with them. So it's it's it, it can be um, slightly more difficult if you want to find it in a in a cafe or restaurant. Although some some will definitely sell them. These typically bit tend to be um, mate in tea bags, um, which is obviously easier to make, but isn't the uh, the full experience. Um, but if you spend much time with, um, with 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 locals once you're there, which I obviously encourage you to do um, uh, immensely. You know, it won't take long before you're you're offered um, you're offered um, some mate, and there's there's an, some incredible rituals that go into it. I mean, it's um, you know, in some ways, you know, if you imagine like a Japanese tea ceremony, for example, there's lots right. of ways of doing things. There's 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 uh, correct orders for the way uh, the water is poured in, for the way um, who drinks first, and, and and so on and so forth. That um, often I have to admit go go over my head, but. Um, it's great if you can, you know, if you sit down with some Argentines, if you share some mate, if you have a drink with them, 
you'll get a real insight into the uh, into the culture and lifestyle of the people there, which is um, a wonderful thing to do. Well, I think you know that so- it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds very interesting. Um, I I'm not sure that I've had the full mate experience. Uh, certainly not the cultural experience. I don't know that the canned herba mate that I'm buying at the grocery store is <laughs> exactly what I would get in Argentina. So that's something that I would definitely look forward to doing. Let's talk about the most famous drink from Argentina, which is wine. I guess Argentina has to be the largest new world producer in the Americas after the United States. Argentinian wine is everywhere. Any wine shop will have it. Even grocery stores in the U.S. carry uh, wine from Argentina. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the wine of Argentina. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, 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 Argentina is certainly, certainly after the U.S. one of one of the biggest producers. Um, I'm, obviously, given that we're talking about Argentina, I'm loath to mention one of their uh, big uh, rivals and neighbor, <laughs> Chile. But Chile obviously produces a huge amount of wine as well. Um, Nevertheless, um, yeah, wine, wine is a huge part of um, uh, not just the Argentine economy, but the, the Argentine um, culinary culture. So Malbec, which, um, you know, over the last, um, I'd say, kind of probably five to ten years, I'm not sure what it's like in the States, has become incredibly, incredibly common um, in Europe and, 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 and further afield. I mean, ironically, of course, the the, the Malbec grape is um, French originally. I, I believe it originated in southwest West France, but it was brought over and it's really um, um, settled well into the Argentine um, uh, Argentine climate. So the the, the, the uh, most famous wine growing area and the biggest wine growing area in Argentina is Mendoza. So that's a city in a region uh, away from the coast, um, bordering the Andes um, in in central Argentina, and it kind of if it's a wonderful place for um, wine tours and wine tastings, um, and it's really quite a scenic place to explore. But but wine surprisingly is actually grown. Um, not quite across the country, but um, really way up into the north, um, and also um, as far south as, well, kind of the borders of Patagonia, which is, which can be quite surprising. Um, hmm. Malbec is obviously great with um, uh, steaks. So I knew about Malbec before I started writing about Argentina, before I started, before I lived there a few years ago. But uh, but another uh, great variety that I've, I've discovered more more recently, and really only there from from living there, although it's more common, um, commonly exported now, is Torontes, which is a uh, white wine. It's kind of got a um, slightly floral, refreshing flavour. Oh. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it, 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 it's not something that people typically um, would would typically associate if you're only familiar with Malbec, but it's definitely something to um, hunt out, and particularly on hot summer evenings. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a lovely drink. Uh, you mentioned Mendoza and some of the other wine-growing regions. If we go to Buenos Aires, where would you recommend uh, a wine region that's within easy reach, and how would we get there if we wanted to visit? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what, what, what one of the one of the issues, obviously, with Argentina is this is absolutely huge, huge country. So um, uh, uh, the distances along, and so. Although there will be wine regions slightly closer to to Buenos Aires, actually Mendoza, which is um, uh, you know there's there's half a dozen, well probably a dozen flights from Buenos Aires to to, to Mendoza per day, um, and it's very easily to re- reach by um, by coaches kind of overnight. That's actually the probably the the, the closest region um, if you really want to get the full experience. 
Um, somewhere else I like to go, which <laughs> unfortunately is even further away from Buenos Aires, is the um, is the Salto in Capajate region, which is in um, northwest Argentina. Um, so it's near the Andes. It's near the border with Chile and with um, Bolivia. Um, and this is this is a spectacular region just in terms of its landscapes. But they produce some really interesting interesting wines. And though, although it's not quite as um, productive yet as Mendoza, um, there's really some great vineyards to uh, to visit there. You talk about the different areas of regions of Argentina. It's, and you said it's a it's a huge country. It's a massive country. I think as Americans, we often get fixated on the big city of Buenos Aires, but maybe. Talk about a little the region in the south near uh, Tierra del Fuego. How how different is that from the rest of Argentina? What what is the culture like uh, as you go so far south? I, I mean, I, I have to say um, Patagonia uh, and Tierra del Fuego, which is the southernmost tip of both Argentina and Chile, is is really my, one of my favorite places to travel in the world. And I'm fortunate because of my job that I've been able to spend quite a lot of time there. Um, to kind of put that in context, so the the, the capital, the, the the main city of um, Argentine Tierra del Fuego is a place called Ushuaia, uh, and Ushuaia is uh, closer to Antarctica than it is to Buenos Aires. Wow! So it's a long, long way away. Um, the climate is obviously incredibly different from from Buenos Aires. They get some very harsh winters. They get lots of rain. I can, uh, and I'm saying this as a British person, they get lots <laughs> of rain. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's, it's an absolutely spectacular place to to explore. So if you're there, you'll get a lot of um, a lot of the familiar dishes that you'll you'll get in in Buenos Aires. You'll be able to get steaks, of course. You'll be able to get pizza, pasta. But they do have some wonderful um, uh, regional variations, and this also goes for um, Patagonia more more generally. So uh, lamb is a huge is a huge thing, um, and barbecued lamb in uh, Patagonia and Tierra del Fuego is absolutely delicious. Um, so the classic way to cook this is on a um, um, kind of they have like a metal cross and they have a huge either the whole lamb or most of most most of the lamb cook, slow cooked over that. Um, and if you go to any estancias, which are um, ranches. Um, You'll see the gauchos or the cowboys cooking this, and this is this is a, again another incredible Argentine experience. So the lamb in Patagonia and Tierra del Fuego is delicious, um, but they also have excellent seafood. So Ushuaia sits on the uh, the Beagle Channel. Um, it's by some measures the most southerly city on earth, um, and. Uh, seafood, which is not really that big a thing in Argentina, despite the fact that the country has a you know an incredibly long coastline. Um, but that, but that's not not the case in 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 Ushuaia. And the absolutely the the the, the signature um, dish there is a uh, centoja, which is king crab. And you're if if you've never seen these, it's it's, it's well worth looking up um, uh, an image on the internet because these are fearsome creatures. They are absolutely hmm. massive. You know, they have to be to survive in the uh, in the uh, the frigid waters down there. Um, but they're but they're, they're they're a great thing to try in Ushuaia. They're not cheap by any by any measures, um, uh, but you get them in a huge variety of dishes. So you'll get um, uh, centojo ravioli. Uh, you'll get them in salads. Um, you'll get them in, in in many many different dishes. And, but it's in, you know it's incredibly rich, creamy, um, uh, yeah, very distinctive crab flavour. So that's something that you should. Uh, that and the lamb are two things that absolutely have to uh, to be tried. 
The other thing that's really interesting, um, which is a signature of um, uh, kind of a region of Patagonia, it's a bit further north of um, Tierra del Fuego, something called the Calafate, which shares its name with one of the um, one of the, uh, the big tourist towns there, and that's a um, it's a, it's like a reddish purplish berry, um, and that's delicious. And you get and it's it's kind of uh, indicative of the uh, the uh, the berries and the fruits that you get down in uh, that part of the world. So um, yeah, that's definitely something to uh, look out for. And inevitably, you find it flavoring ice creams. You find it flavoring alpha horrors as well. Sounds fantastic. Well. Uh... It's been great talking to you, and I feel like we've only scratched the surface of Argentina. I mean, we haven't talked about empanadas. We haven't talked about steaks. Um, would you be willing to come back to another uh, episode of Destination Eat Drink, and we'll talk about this other stuff sometime in the future? Apparently, uh, it would be my absolute pleasure. I mean, I don't think I'd be let back in Argentina if I didn't talk about the, uh, the, the steaks. So you'd be doing me a favor. Okay. We're willing to do that for you. Oh, thank you very much. Okay. There you go. We've got audio proof. Shafik will be back to talk more about Argentina on another episode of the podcast. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Until next week, go to DestinationEatDrink.com. My latest blog post is about the famous fry shops in Naples, Italy. You can get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. And next week on the show, we're in Cairo for pyramids and fava bean falafel. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Emperor Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.